Alright, it's the Chance of Gaming Podcast, episode 62. It's been a while, and you know, I would play that song as an intro if I actually had a mixing board and stuff like that. I don't know, maybe in the future. Anyway, I... So much effort. Yeah. (laughs) I'm, uh, yeah, production value, you're not gonna find that here. Um, uh, I'm Adam Chance, and uh, that was Richard, you heard. And Roy has finally got back from stuffing ballot boxes in Michigan to join us for a show. I heard Ding. he said he's putting 20 more in today. <laughs> it's November Ding 8th, and he said he's dead. still got 20 more to turn in. So is it true, Roy? <laughs> like, I, I heard that like there's um, more votes were cast for Joe Biden than there were registered voters in Michigan. Yeah, you know, see, I went through the, uh, the uh, cemetery the other day taking down names, and so I... <laughs> I, uh, I filed a uh, uh, absentee ballot request for each one of those people. Any any famous dead Michiganders that uh, voted this election? Um, let's see. Uh, Ted Nugent. <laughs> he and, voted uh, twice. And Aretha Franklin. Kid Rock as well. Is he from? Yeah, I don't know if he's from Michigan. Uh, no, I, no, no, no. He talks about being. Look, I'm going to go out on a limb. Probably Justin Trudeau. You guys are basically Canada, right? Uh, I, you know, we cannot claim Justin Trudeau. He is just too damn <laughs> handsome to be, be from Michigan. Look, I'm going to go. He doesn't out, have enough of a beard. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and say Kid Rock might have a felony and be unable to vote. But that's just <laughs> so Didn't his uh, his uh, bar in was it in Missouri? No, somewhere other got shut down because of uh, uh, COVID violations. I'm, I don't think that I, was I'm Missouri. Hon- I'm honestly not surprised. Okay. That Sounds very much like a Kid Rock headline that would be. Because he's edgy. Yes. I am curious. Um, do you guys have any voting laws? As in, like, I know here in Mississippi. Do you have any voting laws? Well, I, like, I, I know. At all. I know. That's, that's a really <laughs> weird statement. Let, let me clarify. Uh, here in Mississippi, we are required to show identification in order to be able to vote. Do y'all have anything like that? Yes. They scan your driver's license. You can vote without a driver's license, but you have to do a provisional ballot. And I think they they kind of research you a little bit if you don't have a any kind of ID. Hmm. And they actually scan yours, like run it through a machine. Yeah. It, on ours, they they've got a little like a little stand set up that kind of looks like a little cash register or something, but it's got a little mm-hmm. little shelf that you just put your license on there, and there's a you know there's a code on the back of it, so it just scans that. Yeah, that's kind of what we have, too. All right, look. Here in the great state of Mississippi, an old lady with bad eyesight looks at it and hands it back to me. That's it. <laughs> she takes she takes her gnarled finger and, like, runs it down a page and goes, hmm. And then she looks at me, and she looks at the driver's license, and she hands it back. That well, is, she... we don't have that, but I got a good story for you from Missouri from last Tuesday. Oh, so yeah, apparently a, a, a few days before the election, so St. Charles County, which is just one county past St. Louis, so you're talking 20 minutes from me, uh, St. Charles County, some guy came down with COVID, he tested positive, he knew he was positive, worked all day Tuesday as an election judge, and then died on Wednesday. Holy shit. Yes. So don't ex- don't be surprised if you see our numbers skyrocket in a week or yeah. two from everybody that went through that polling place. Oh, look, come on. Come on, Richard. I was told, watch it. It's going to magically go away after the election. That's what I was told. <laughs> yeah. 
You know, there was a guy that uh, I work with was talking about going skiing, and he said, and he was a Trumpster, or is a Trumpster, and he said, uh, you know, I wonder how it's going to be skiing with COVID. And I said, and I'll just use a pseudonym here, Dave, it's, you don't have to worry about it. It's, you know, it's going to go away on, on November 4th. So ski all you want. All right, so since you're in Michigan, I'm going to assume that means snow ski. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, because yeah, down here, that would be water ski. Unfrozen um, water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess, yeah, you could. You could actually do, you could do both. <laughs> anyway, believe it or not, folks, uh, this is actually a gaming podcast, if you could believe that. And uh, Roy has played some stuff, and he's going to tell us all about it. Okay, so we're I got a bunch of them here. So uh, most of these are on Board Game Arena. Uh, there's a game called Yokohama, which is a uh, it's a worker placement game. I love that musical. And, yo, I, you lost me there. I thought she's the one that broke up the Beatles. <laughs> okay. Well, and you know, I played this with Dana, my friend Dana, and and he said you want to play Yokohama, and I I I texted a picture of uh, Yoko Ono and uh, and Lennon. And um, they said, yeah, I'd love to do Yoko Ono. <laughs> and so, like, uh, the the gif that I texted him had uh, John Lennon with, you know, raising his eyebrows. <laughs> and I got back to you. That's that's gross. You know, who wants to, who wants to hang around with Yoko Ono? Um, but anyway, Yokohama is a worker placement game. It's set in Meiji, Japan. And you are kind of uh, wheeling and dealing. You have a company, you have your president, and you have all of your assistants, and you send them around the map to uh, collect tea or fish or uh, copper to fulfill contracts. Um, and so there's each contract is associated with the country. And if you have, let's say, two countries, so like Britain and the United States, that's a certain measure of points. If you have Britain, the United States, and France, and what it's, it's uh, the Netherlands and Germany. So if you have five, that is worth 12 points. Uh, so it's a, it's a game of moving around the map, collecting the resources that you need to fulfill a contract. Uh, and then you, uh, you can send some of your assistants to go to the laboratory and you're working on um, advancements that kind of give you a special ability. And it also gives you one of those flags. Um, you can go to the, uh, to the bank and get, money you can go to chinatown and sell some of your resources to get some cash or you can sell cash or you can you know buy things off of uh off of that tile and so it's a it's a game of it's worker placement and it's uh contract fulfillment kind of is what uh, yokohama is so i've played probably three games of this i'm in the middle of one now with uh uh two people that aren't my friends that are on uh board game arena just randos so that's uh, Yokohama. You know, ever since you said that word, I'm like, where do I know that name from? And I'm like, is it a motorcycle? It's whatever. It's a brand of tires. So yes, that's, uh-huh. there you go. Anyway, probably uh, from, is that an actual town in Japan? Maybe where they make that make those tires? Um, uh, maybe it's an actual it's an actual town in Japan for sure. Oh, yeah. But but they could just be the tires named after that or whatever. But yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Then I played uh, Clans of Caledonia, which is kind of the same sort of game, except set in Scotland. So it's um, you have your clan, and your clan has a uh, particular special ability, and you have a map that has the locks on it. And so as you um, 
move that goes over five rounds and each round there's uh different victory conditions that will give you some points so like one round is whoever has the most processed goods so if you have cheese or if you have whiskey or if you have um oh there's something else bread uh you can you know that's worth some victory points but you're you you ex kind of expand across the map so you can place uh, uh, sheep herds or cattle herds or you can make a wheat field or a distillery or a bakery or a cheese shop or you can send your workers out to cut wood or, or mine for ore um, and so basically you have a, a pool of money that you start with and each time that you build one of those things it bites into that money so eventually you're out of cash and you have to pass the rest of the turn. So you get you you get income from your workers that you sent out, and you can buy and sell um, the like wool and milk and cheese and these various commodities. So there's kind of a, a buying and selling. There's a market aspect. So there's a market track where whenever you buy a cheese, then the price goes up. Or am I doing that wrong? What when you when you buy something. Yeah, I don't know. That would make sense. Yeah, it gets um, more if you buy something, then the uh, the the demand has gone up. Right. Yeah. So it's it adjusts the that track up and down, um, and so you you can claim a contract. So it'll say, okay, if I have lamb chops and a wool and a cheese, then this will get me so many imports. And and so sometimes you get paid in money. Sometimes you get paid in victory points, um, and it's a contract fulfillment game. And so you can also adjust your shipping level. So, like, when you start, you can't cross any rivers. Well, you, if you spend the money to be able to go across the river, then that, you know, kind of makes your reach bigger. And then the locks are the big lakes there, so um, you can kind of beef up your your shipping so that you can go across a one lock wide or one space wide lock or two uh space wide lock or whatever and so it's played over five rounds and um you uh, each player has a different clan that they are that has a different special ability so some of them are like fishermen uh some of them are just really into shipping so they have to complete a lot of contracts so that's uh, clans of caledonia and so I've I've been enjoying this game too. And now, then, yes. Oh, I was gonna say, Clans of Caledonia is one that I hear a lot about, a lot of, of people playing it. Hmm. And okay. it's on Board Game Alliance, right? Board Board Game Arena. Yeah. Arena. I knew there was an A in there. <laughs> Which there is a, uh, a town near me called Caledonia. So that's uh, kind of the joke around here is we're talking about. Um, <laughs> you cl could, clans are the suburbs of Grand Rapids. Yes, you could. Well, you could totally like reskin it for uh, just you know redo it, just reskin with clans of Caledonia, Michigan. You know, just what that would yeah. be. Huh. And so then um, the the uh, Disney's Haunted Mansion Call of the Spirits game, which is a themed game, so it's based around the Haunted Mansion, um, and the artwork is great and it's very reminiscent of the attraction. Um, and it's a it's a card collection or a set collection game. So each turn, um, the ghosts come out. There's a different spirits around the board, and you can move one way or another um, and collect 
the cards. So like if the 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 stretching portraits that you see at the beginning of the of the of the attraction in the stretching room, if you can collect a set of four of those, it's a it's a set amount of points. Um, the lovers, if you can have if you have one lover, it's worth zero. If you have two lovers, it's worth seven points. Um, but each time or a lot of times when you take a card, you also have to take a haunt card. And those, um, basically, if you have the most number of haunt cards or the, the, the highest value of haunt points at the end of the game, you lose uh, quite a few cards out of your hand. So it's it's themed, and it's um, pretty simple, but for for being a themed game, it's, it's pretty great. And it's uh, put out by Funko. Uh, and that's, uh, what is it, the Haunted Mansion Call of the Spirits. Now, that's like one of my favorite rides down there in uh, Disney mm-hmm. World. Um, I'm actually going back to Disney World in a couple of weeks. I'll be there a week, oh. week of Thanksgiving, and I'll be back there around the week of Christmas. I really should do something on, like, because I, I go and visit, like, the shops, usually when I go to a new place, and I, mm-hmm. I, should, I should do something with that, but I don't know. So- I am actually going there in between your two visits. Really? The beginning of, of December. Yep. We've got uh, uh, three days that we're heading down there. Isn't it crazy, like, how you're having to get tickets now? It's... Okay, look. I'm I, I'm probably the world's most casual Star Wars fan. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so you know, this, this new Star Wars land, whatever, came out and blah, blah, blah. And so... Really, all I wanted to do was go to the stupid uh, bar and that they have and get one of those uh, tiki mugs because mm-hmm. it, it looks like uh, I don't know what it's supposed to look like, but I'll tell you what it what it looks like to me. It looks like Ewok cave art where they tell you the uh, they're telling you the Battle of Endor and it's all on this thing. And I'll I'll post it in the show notes so you can see what I'm talking about. And uh, I wanted one of those, so. Now with COVID, you know, there's no park hopping, which means mm-hmm. you can, you know, for you pay extra and you can go to multiple parks a day. You've got one park one day. So I'm like, okay, well, let me go see if I could. You know, one of my days should be this uh, Star Wars land, which is, what is it, Universal Studios, Hollywood Studios, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Anyway. It's uh, Hollywood Studios. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because they've changed the name like 50 times since they opened it. it yeah, it's always confusing to me. Anyway. So I go to look and they're like, they're like, hold on, chief. You can't go to some parks because there's availability. I'm like, availability? Really? Yeah. And, uh, which on one hand, it's good if you're actually going, if you can actually get in because it's, uh, there's a lot, lot less people there. And I'm like, wow, Mm -hmm. that sounds awesome. However, that stupid Hollywood Studios is booked for the entire month uh, from November 1st to January 3rd. Yeah. we So we have one day This there. doesn't surprise me. I mean, it's it's brand new. It's only like a year old, right? Yeah, that well. I'm uh, not sure. Not yeah, even, yeah, it maybe. seems like yeah, it seems like it's just a year or whatever. Yeah. Or maybe a year and a half. It seems like they had a good year um post-COVID, or, you know, before COVID. They had a good year of it. And, okay. um, and, yeah, I don't know, but... Anyway, it just annoyed me that I'm like, I just... I'm like, I don't care. I just want to go and do this and blah, 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 and nope. You can't get in there. Not gonna happen. 
Uh, but anyway, okay, so wow, that's the first, okay, we'll be there the first week then. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Uh, what what parks did you get in? So we uh, were there there for three days. We're skipping uh, Animal Kingdom. So we're we're doing everything else. Oh, so you you got in, huh? Yeah. Uh huh. I see. Because yep. <laughs> uh, see, my thing was, I'm like, well, shit. Can I like wait outside? You know, can I stand in line? Is there anything? You, there's nothing you can do to to actually do it. So I'm like, all right. So I'll go to Epcot like on Monday. And then the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, I'll go to the Magic Kingdom just because. That's uh, kind of a busy time, I think. Oh, yeah. Thanksgiving week. It is, but remember, you're at reduced capacity as well. So Yeah, that's true. That does help. Um, So, I mean, there's a couple of things I want to ride, whatever. And I just like hanging out and just, you know, Epcot's my favorite place, period. Um, My kids, their favorite place is um, Animal Kingdom. But mm-hmm. as if it's it's just me, eh, I don't I don't really care. So anyway, my favorite time at Epcot is right at twilight, like right at a, you know maybe about seven six thirty seven o'clock in the evening. Yeah, that's uh, I really dig that time. <laughs> so are you are make sure to pack all your heavy uh, winter clothing for that first week of <laughs> December in Florida. <laughs> well, yeah. I, and I can never tell if it's uh, going to be shorts weather or pants weather. Oh, they can't tell either. It's just, it's yeah. Just be surprised the same way everybody right. uh, What resort are you staying at? Uh, we're staying at uh, Pop Century, and then we have a, um, a vacation house uh, south, about 45 minutes south of town. Okay, cool. So we're kind of splitting our stay. All right, cool, cool. All right. So, and then uh, moving on, uh, Minecraft. Uh, a, a board game, the Minecraft board game called Builders and Biomes. Hey, so is, again, it's, is this based on that really that that indie game that was come out a few years ago that just a few people yeah. played? That Nachi guy. Yeah. It's, I don't. Yeah. I don't know. He's some kind of what is he Danish, Swedish? Something like that. It was a, it was a really small indie game that a few people played. I wonder what ever happened. Right. To yeah. No, just anyway. Sorry. Oh, that's right. Uh, so Builders and Biomes is um, it, it, you have a grid of 16 stacks of cards and you move around the intersections and at any intersection you can stop and flip all four cards that you're touching. Uh, and so it may be a building under there that you can build or it may be something you can fight like a skeleton or an enderman. Um and if you're going to fight, you f- have little cards that you flip that will um, say, okay, well, I have the sword and I have the uh, shovel. The sword and the shovel together will give me five hearts. That's not enough to kill an Enderman, which requires like six or seven or whatever. Uh, and then you're collecting resources out of a – it's a stack. What is it? It's a four-by-four-by-four four four cube um, that you're pulling cubes out of. And so, like, if you pull a dirt or you pull a uh, uh, obsidian or a stone, well, I can take those three. Well, I can look at – I can use that to build this structure and put that on my board. And so there's three scoring rounds, and they're all the same each time, where, like, um, the first round, it, sh- it scores all of your desert biomes. So if you have 16 desert biomes, it gives you, let's say – uh, what 48 points or whatever so it's um it's a fairly simple game 
um, but engaging enough for grownups to play with kids. Now, how did you choose to play that one? Uh, my wife saw it uh, that came in at the at our FLGS. Okay. And and picked it up. Just curious. Yeah. Uh, see then. I've played a few games of Wingspan with my wife. Um, Ooh, I've heard of that. Yeah. You've, how many times have you played that? Just that one time that we played it at, uh, at Dice Tower Con? Uh, yeah, I honestly have not had another opportunity to play it um, because, you know, I didn't pick it up. Nobody else I know owns it. But, I, yeah, look, I really enjoyed it. And if, if I could easily pick it up and just have a really good time, and, yeah, you should, mm-hmm. you know, everybody should pick up this game it, it yeah, in my opinion yeah it, it, it the hype is real for it in in my <laughs> opinion i'm because I, I was like oh wow i completely you know by the second turn i was like i understand how this game works mm-hmm. and oh look i can actually try i'm trying to win and yeah so anyway so i happen to see that somewhere somebody made an unofficial app that uses a camera so if you take the the cards and point the, the camera on your phone at it it'll it recognizes that card and it will play the song, the bird song of the bird on the card, which I thought was really cool. Oh, nice. So, I mean, it doesn't do anything to enhance the gameplay. I mean, I guess it does enhance the gameplay. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't streamline anything. It's just kind of a neat add on, you know, if you want to hear what the particular bird card you're holding sounds like. Um, so then I, let's see, I'm in session. What is this? Session. Session three will be tomorrow of Roll20 D&D. Uh, That's your high-level one? Yes. Yep. Um, so I have a sorcerer, and the our first session, it was a, a, a beach fight against a skeletal T-Rex. And um, so we, we this is a, a fight we were looking for because we were really after the guy on the, on the T-Rex's back. But so we start moving into... Um, into the fight, and so one of my first actions was, well, I'm going to cast a twinned haste on the barbarian and the uh, paladin. <laughs> and both of those guys went, oh. <laughs> and so they proceeded to wade in and clean house, and I think in one one round, the barbarian did 104 points of damage. Um, <laughs> so the, it kind of uh, set the DM back on his heels a little bit. Yeah, high-level uh, D&D is insane. Yeah. So we are. Uh, this is this will be our third session is coming up tomorrow, and um, I've already been knocked out twice. So I I would rather that didn't happen anymore. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at you, Finn Diesel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so and and here's a big one now. Board Game Arena has a beta version of Unconditional Surrender World War Two. What's what's the full title of it, Rich? Unconditional Surrender, World War Two. Or I think it's. Just, I always just call it Unconditional Surrender Europe. Okay, so the, it's a beta version on Board Game Arena, um, and I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. We're in the <laughs> first turn, which and I don't understand. It says the, um, what the full game takes 14 minutes, which I'm like, this cannot be no. right. Yeah, so I don't know if you remember, this is the one. So I played the full campaign with a couple friends last year, and 
we we didn't even really finish it but we probably played 40 to 45 hours wow okay yeah so no not 14 minutes <laughs> so i want to point out that this is one to three players yes so rich if you know like two other friends that would want to play this you know you might reach out to them and say hey why don't let's play this which it can be played it can be played turn by turn which is do what know, i'm doing right do now. i know two people that would be interested in playing this yeah. I, I can't think of anyone yeah, yeah. okay all right <laughs> but anyway i'm i am playing the uh um the soviets and the west and okay. my friend dana is playing the axis and he's gone first and i've really done nothing but just get beat up um so, so I, yes, as the Soviets, that's your job is to get beat up and try to hold him off as long as possible. Uh, and then eventually you're going to start fighting back. But yes, you, he's going to pummel you at the beginning of the war. Okay. All yeah. right. So your job I, is just to make sure he doesn't make it all the way to Moscow. Oh, okay. I got to look and find out where Moscow is. Yeah. Once, anyway. uh, once winter hits, especially that first winter, you're going to ha have a big advantage over him. Okay. But um, yes, it's it's really rough for a while, and even <laughs> even after winter, it's it's not until you start getting your guards units that you start to to getting to a point where you're close to as good as him. Yeah, because he's okay. always going to get plus two for being German, so he's always going to start out ahead of you, um, and you don't get that. I think I think guards are plus ones, so. But he's going to have other issues to deal with too, especially depending on what happens in the West. So. Hmm. All right. So anyway, that's uh, unconditional surrender war in World War II in Europe. Uh, yeah, that I'm I really excited just... about that. I mean, it's it's such a great game. It's one of my favorites, and I I really want to play it on here just to see what the implementation is like. Okay. Well, hit me up, man. Yeah, definitely. Um, I okay. wonder. So you probably didn't set up the game. Do you have a choice of scenarios you can play, or is it just like the main campaign, or what is well, it? Here, let me. Um... So, Rich, who publishes this game? GMT. And uh, so there, who's the author? Oh. Salvatore Vasta. Okay. Who also uh, has another World War II game called Axis Empires uh, and Tatala Krieg. So there are several um, choices of scenarios. I don't know if it's the full full suite of scenarios that, that it publishes with, but we're just playing the, the first first one. There's actually a really fun scenario that they have. It's only a two-player one, um, but it's basically it's a hypothetical scenario, and it's just it's after Germany is defeated, but it's the West versus Russia. Basically, mm. if Patton had gotten his wish and said, "Hey, let's just finish this right now," hmm. all right, because basically Patton said, "You know, we're all we're going to have to fight these guys eventually. We've already got everything here. Let's just do it right now." And everyone else is like, dude, we just finished a five-year world war. We don't want to do anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah. Our, he, our spirit he, is broken. He got in a lot of trouble for saying that. And, uh, yeah, they they were trying to put him out to pasture, and then, you know, he died in a car accident. But Yeah. yeah. Uh, so then, okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to poop on a game here. In the Year of the Dragon... Okay. Um, so I always hear people talk about Stefan Feld, and apparently people love playing this guy's games. Um, Feld, I, I don't is, know if that, is that the designer? Yes. Okay. Um, 
and I don't know if it's part of it is the interface on Board Game Arena, but so it's a game of placing workers in palaces. So you start out the game with a two 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 level palaces, so it can hold four people, uh, and you have to it plays over the course of twelve months, and each month has a different thing that happens. Uh, and so you're recruiting people off of the tableau. Um, and so like the, in one of the months, there's a famine that happens. So you have to have, uh, enough healers to stave off and keep your people from dying. Um, and I, maybe it might be better, uh, you know, on a tabletop, but the interface on board game arena is pretty terrible. So that's, uh, in the year of the dragon. And I don't really have anything to, good to say about this game, but I always hear people talk about Steffenfeld, and and uh, there's a lot of people that are fans of his games, but I guess I'm not one of them. I don't think I've played anything by him. No, me either. I'm, I'm, and I don't I may think not I will anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, Signori, I'm not sure how to say it. It's an Italian name. Um, and uh, so I'm just a few, like one turn. I've only taken one turn of this game. Um, but this seems to be another kind of a worker placement game where you're drafting dice off of the board um, to take actions on your own board. Um, and again, I don't really know much about it. I'm kind of trying to uh, find my way through it. So that's a Signori. That's S-I-G-N-O-R-I-E. Uh, you play the lord of a senior, lord of the one of the most prestigious families of the Renaissance. One of the time players choose one die from a common pool, place it on your player board, and perform one of the possible actions. Um, so anyway, that's uh, what I've been playing. So who makes that one? The Signore. Signore. I think that's how um, I would say it. You're... Asking me. Sorry to throw you off. Uh, me What's go. your game? What's is your the game? publisher? Okay. Yeah. But Seems uh, like a very I... accusatory publisher. Like, <laughs> anyway, I don't know. You what, mate? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it looks like it'd be very lovely to play on the tabletop. I mean, the artwork is nice and it has cool turquoise dice. You don't really see turquoise dice that much. Um, very true. Anyway, yep, that's what I've been up to. All right, Rich. You've been playing a lot more than I have. Oh, oh. I had a big had upgrade a at work last week, so it's been busy. But I'm I'm hoping for some smooth sailing for the next few months now between the holidays and we got some downtime and hopefully more time for games. But I did get to play a game called Renegade a couple times. Um, this I think I've talked about this on the show before, but whatever, like sixty episodes yeah. now. So who knows? I remember this. Yeah, it was a Kickstarter from a couple years ago. It's I would describe it as a combination of Mage Knight and Pandemic, um, which sounds kind of weird, but that's how I would describe it. It's mm. a it's mm -hmm. a co-op game where you play computer hackers trying to hack into a system um, that's owned by some big supercomputer, and there's you know there's some lore behind it and everything, and none of that really matters because it's got it's got a hex board, so it's got I think five different uh, what they call servers that all connect together to make your board. So every game will be unique. 
um, as far as the board position and everything. And then there's set up cards that randomize things as well. And you've got a choice of, I guess, five or six different hackers. Actually, some of them have more than one. They, they're double-sided. So maybe 10 or 11 different hackers that you can choose. Um, and then you just play as a team. So it scales really well as far as player count. So like if you're just doing one player, basically you just set up and you've got some you know, some extra benefits that you get for the four players that aren't on the board with you. And then the setup will be based on the number of players as well. So it scales really well. That's nice. Um, I have only played it solo once, but usually I play it with two. And today I actually played it with three players. Um, but it's, it's difficult. It's, it's not an easy game. It's, it's got some deck building in it, but it's got some cool mechanics as far as the deck building. I haven't seen in any other game where like when you buy a card, you basically get to put it into your hand right away and you also trash a card instantly. So if you like trashing cards and you like deck builders, you know, this would be a good one as well. Cause you, anytime you buy a card, you're going to trash something. And the way it works out is you always have exactly 15 cards in your, in your deck. So it's always going to be three rounds uh, of five cards each, and then there's three turns, so you're going to get nine rounds. And, and there's little missions that you have to solve in each one of your rounds and everything. So um, it's it's really fun. At the, it's I, I enjoyed it quite a bit, and I, I like playing it with my daughters. So. All right, so my biggest question is, is this board game based on the Sticks song or the Lorenzo Lamas TV show? I don't know anything about the Lorenzo Salamis <laughs> TV show, but we did play the stick song while we played today. All right. I'll, I'll have it linked in the show notes. It was this, <laughs> golly, this, I, I didn't watch this show, but I was aware of it. I want to say that it was like early internet, whenever it was, I don't know, it was like the late 90s or something. Anyway, I just it's remember. kind of Beauty and the Beast era. Yeah, it's, I just remember people just ridiculing this dumb show. It, it literally, like, stop me if you've heard this one before, you know, a guy uh, with a dubious past, you know, blows into town and... Uh, Plays by his own rules? Yes, and solves problems <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. And then at the, at the end of the show, he drives out, you know, of town, you know. So, yeah, that was that's the that's show. That's a really good idea for a show. And wow. uh, I want to say Lorenzo Lamas was like, I don't know, like a male model super... Uh, uh, soap opera guy and this is like he his... was on falcon crest okay yeah so yeah and then this was like his action show it's him on a motorcycle running around and my lord you should watch the opening and again i'll have this linked in the show notes it is ridiculous it goes from like scenes of him literally pouring a gallon of water on on himself you know like the flash dance you know uh, <laughs> yeah thing and to just him running and diving, and more shots of him running in slow motion. It's like, I wonder if the same guy that cut this cut um, Baywatch. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) So I'll go ahead and say with 100% certainty that this game and that show are not related. Uh Yeah, and then I get a cease and desist from Lorenzo Lamas and said, no, your co-host is telling lies. That is my board game. Anyway. Hey, we'll just have him on the show. I don't think yeah. anyone has said his name in several years. He'll be happy to Lorenzo Lamas knows our name. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll post this in the show notes. He's a listener. And, yeah, he'll get a he'll get a Google alert. His agent will. He'll be like, what? I forgot I set this Google alert. I'm back, this? baby. Lorenzo, I've got a show for you. It's the uh, number one automotive podcast on the Internet. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. 
Anyway, so... Uh, so, yeah, Renegade. Renegade, good game. Uh, I don't even know if you can buy it in a store or anything. Um, I have no idea. But it was Kickstarter from a couple years ago. It was, it's a great game. I'm glad I have it. Um, and then I've been playing some more train games on 18xx.games. Um, uh, I've played several. I can't remember which ones. Uh, 18 Mechs, 1889... Uh, some others. I can't remember which ones I've been playing, but several of those. And yeah, then I'm continuing my... That's, that's, the, uh, sure. that's the website with the naked ladies playing with trains. 18XXX, right? No, yeah, 18 X. I think is the one you're looking at. And yeah. Only only 18 X is the one you're looking at, Adam, <laughs> but I'm, play, I'm looking at a different one. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I've been playing some historical ASL, too, so we continued our Red Factories game. Um, and hopefully we'll get back to Atten and Flames this week as well. So, yeah, I'm loving historical ASL. I'm just loving getting back into ASL in general. I didn't play much at all last year, so this year that was kind of some my sort of gaming New Year's resolution is to play more ASL, and so far I've been pretty good about that, and I'm starting to line up some uh, some games in, in Hungary as well. So I'm looking forward to, to busting out the Armies of Oblivion, which I, I got last year and haven't played yet. All right, uh, I got a couple of things here. Number one, I did not know that um, uh, Red Factories was considered historical ASL. Yes, yeah. The historical ASL, so um, the main thing that makes it historical is the map, because ASL usually has, you know, the, the geomorphic maps where you just, you know, pick a couple maps and put them together if you've got more than one and they all they all line up together but historical asl is going to have maps that are based on an actual geographic place a lot of asl modules have a sort of historical basis where they'll say oh this is the battle of carenton or whatever but the map itself is not going to be realistically what carenton looked like whereas in historical asl red factories hatton and flames a bridge too far fish budapest um there are others as well and i can't think of them right now but those games are actually going to have historical maps that that show what the terrain actually looked like and then they are going to have some scenarios in them that are sort of loosely based on a time period in history but then they'll also have a campaign game where you line several scenarios up and play them in a row and instead of starting from scratch each time you sort of start from your previous position hmm. okay um I, I honestly, yeah, I had always thought, uh, for whatever reason, in my mind, um, historical ASL was kind of a not produced by MMP. It was produced by somebody else, or you know, nope, whatever. nope. It absolutely is MMP. Okay. And Red Factories actually has two older modules in it. Um, Red Factories is a reprint from I don't know, two or three years ago or something like that, um, and it includes the older module, Red Barricades, and also Red Factories. And uh, the other thing uh, I was reminded of, because it's historical ASL... I'm sorry, not, I said Red Factories. Uh, Red, Red Barricades and Red October, I think it was. Right. Uh, the other thing reminded me, uh, there is uh, this miniature uh, rules uh, produced by pl the Plastic Soldier Company called Battle Group. And yeah. um, they have completed their main rule books, and they have asked people, like, well, what should we do next? And, like, the number one thing is people uh, want them to do, quote-unquote, historical books like that, which will be, like, historical ASL. It's like you can play generic games in these theaters yeah. with what we produce, and but 
what people are asking for is for them to do historical ones, whereas, okay, these are the forces you have to uh, refight this battle, and these are your victory conditions. So I just thought that was interesting. Mm. Anyway, uh, Adam, what have you been up to? I know, other Adam. It's been interesting. <laughs> I've been rewatching Archer and um, caught up. And uh, so I don't know if you guys heard, but <laughs> much to the chagrin of the uh, ruling class here in Mississippi, we managed to pass medical marijuana. Hooray. You guys in the South have had some weird election results. It, like it, Florida, Florida did a $15 minimum wage and voted red. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense, does you it? You guys voted red and did medical marijuana. You guys are that's there's just there's there's weird stuff going on there. It is, and I would argue that uh, a lot of that, well, at least from the weed point of view, is related to there's a very strong libertarian streak. We have a lot of libertarian yeah. Republicans down here in, in Mississippi, so it. Although Richard, they also live in gated communities with homeowners associations, so figure that out. <laughs> yeah, we hate yeah. the government except when they tell me I can't park a boat in my driveway. We love it. Um, yeah, I guess Missouri's kind of like that. We did medical marijuana either earlier this year or last year. I can't remember when. I think it was last year, and we're a pretty red state, so who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Okay, with this though, it was I think. What I read, it was like over 20 times in the past decade there have been bills put forward for some form of legalization. And they do that little, you know, political trick of it goes to a committee to die. It never gets a vote, anything like that. So basically, the people of Mississippi got tired of that and started gathering signatures. Because we have, we can do, you can do that in Mississippi. You can gather. I can't remember what the political term for it is. If you get enough signatures, your proposal can be voted on by the rest of the the state. However, because of the way the law is written, the only way to get your proposal on the ballot is as a constitutional amendment. So that's what we had to do to get medical marijuana. It is enshrined in the Mississippi Constitution now. Which means is that a higher voting threshold as well? No, or is it still it, just fifty percent? Well, yeah, it's like fifty-four percent, something like that. Oh, okay, but regardless, it passed with like seventy-eight. Wow. So, uh, well, yeah, I, I do not feel sorry for the legislature of Mississippi who couldn't read the room in the past decade, who were too busy mm-hmm. watching the the Criterion edition of Reefer Madness to be able to read the room, and so yeah. So it is in our Constitution, which means it is very, very difficult to get out or to just mess with it at all, to change anything. And the way it was written, the actual state doesn't get one thin dime from it. Oh. It all goes back. So there's no tax? Well, they they can get sales tax on it, but only regular sales tax. That's it. So it's not like, you know, uh, Colorado and whatever, you know, it was like 90% of the, the money goes into uh, education or whatever. All the, all the stuff from this goes back into the program itself. So now the Mississippi Department of Health is going to be like the most funded uh, department in the state by far. 
all all the money has to go back for administration. So we're all been joking. We're like, wow, you know, the people that work for the Department of Health are going to be rolling around in Ferraris and stuff in the next <laughs> couple of years. It's yeah. So it's a really interesting time. Although I know from my own personal perspective, I wish I knew somebody that was going to open a dispensary. Oh yeah, that's the other thing. I live in Karen Town, population bunch of Karens, Madison, Mississippi, <laughs> and they are clutching their pearls so bad um, because you know this is enshrined in the Constitution. It can't be done. They, you can put a dispensary anywhere. You can put a pharmacy. So yeah, the, in I know o- it's different everywhere, but here yes. in Missouri, like there's still almost none anywhere just because there's so much red tape and there's been so much back and forth. And even though it's been over a year, I think it's probably last November that we voted for it, but it's just, it's been, there's been so much back and forth that I have no idea where any are here. Maybe yes. it's different for Roy. Cause Roy, you guys, yours is just not even medical, right? Right. Yeah. There are, uh, there are dispensaries around, uh, there's none in town here. Um, yeah, but yeah, it, and it's, and are, it's kind of an opt-in kind of thing. There are really weird, part of the reason it's difficult, There are very, because the federal level, it's still illegal. It's really hard for them to, they have to be a cash-only business. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that makes it really difficult to open a place up because you can't use a bank. Yep. And like yep. you can't take credit cards. Yep. Although, hey, with this new presidential election, that might change. I think uh, the only thing Biden's ever mentioned was I think he wants to I know he wants to remove it from Schedule One, which it is ridiculous because it's right up there with heroin that it's Schedule One. So I I don't know if he wants to do just decriminalization and just leave it to the um, the uh, states or what. But anyway, it's I expect something to change on that. But okay, in Karentown, you know they. In other states like Colorado, Michigan, wherever, you, uh, communities can say, we don't want a dispensary here. And other ones can say, yes, we do. And so there you go. But So they can go anywhere in Mississippi. And this is driving people insane. They're like, oh, my stars. They're going to put them next to a school. Oh, no. The little mm-hmm. kids are going to walk over there and be turned away because they're not 21. Uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. So anyway, so uh, all that to say is I would love to be able to invest in a dispensary because somebody is going to make literally just zillions of dollars here Uh, Mm -hmm. in Jackson, Hattiesburg, Oxford, Starkville, the big college towns. Somebody is going to make just zillions and zillions of dollars. I, I mean, just amazing, just insane amounts of money. I mean, if I was some entrepreneur with like a mill to burn, I think the day after it passed, I would have been in Colorado interviewing, you know, all these people that have run them and like, what do I need to do? And, you know, this, that, and the other. And I would have a game plan. I would, I would have a store ready to open August 1st. Oh yeah. That's the other thing. This law that is on the books is has to, they have to be issuing licenses and selling weed by August 1st, 2021. So no shenanigans between now and then. You can't kick it back. You can't do whatever. Because my brother lives in Florida, and they passed recreational like two or three years ago, and it still held up with red tape. So they barely have medical, and they passed recreational, and they were just sitting on it. 
they're not allowing you know it to happen. So just I don't know. Sorry, I know this is a political podcast, but I just like seeing the will of the people happening and just sticking it to you know the government because that's just interesting to me. So anyway. Speaking of bastards, I have been... I rarely ever listen to another podcast besides maybe History on the Table or, you know, something like that. But somebody turned me on to Behind the Bastards, and it's fantastic. You, have you guys heard of this? Listen to it at all? Nope? Okay. It's like a, just essentially what it is is they just take one person, you know, uh, from history and whatever, and they basically do a kind of a little mini documentary on it. Usually it may, it may get a two-parter, sometimes a three-parter, and they're about an hour and a half each episode. Um, but I just have learned so much uh, about many, many different people. Um, uh, the one I'm lis- currently listening to is, um, was it Roger Stone? You know, the guy that... Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah that the guy, guy with Nixon tattooed on his back. Yeah. Yep, uh, him. Uh, <laughs> exactly what I was going to say. Uh, James Dobbs, James Dobson from Focus on the Family was utterly just fascinating to do, and he has comedians on with him usually to do it, and it's pretty funny too. Um, uh, one thing in the James Dobson I discovered, and I'll have this linked in the show notes. Uh, he, as being part of this huge Focus on the Family lobby group sent out a letter to this his massive mailing list and it was called a a letter from a christian living in 2012 and this was this letter went out in 2008 when obama was uh running for office running for president Mm -hmm. and it was essentially this huge scare tactic this huge thing of like oh my gosh if obama gets elected you know this is what's going to happen and it's, it's honestly, it's so ridiculous, it's it's laughable. Literally, I think, like, two things out of all of it um, uh, actually came true. But, yeah, it's, it's you know, it's, you know, how they get it. It's like, oh, yes, everybody will be, you know, they'll, people won't be allowed to be straight anymore. And, you know, people will have to have abortions and all this stuff, you know, just, just ridiculous stuff. So, it's just really funny. But, um... So that's what I would encourage anybody actually worried about a Biden presidency to read. Uh, one of the, my favorite things I ever read um, in this whole run up to the presidency was like, hey, can I vote for the version of Biden that the right says is running? I would really like to. <laughs> uh, that's the guy I want to vote for. Can I vote for that version? Oh, and uh, the other one on there, which was just fascinating, was the uh, L. Ron Hubbard. And how he came to power, and then they did two uh, episodes on the last days of L. Ron Hubbard. Man, it's it's just a really really wild ride. Did you know he spent three years at sea with a flotilla of Scientologists, dodging various yeah. dodging various governments that were trying to arrest him? It's just fascinating. Just yeah. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, I highly recommend this behind the bastards, and I'll have it linked. Uh, in the show notes. So, uh, check that out. Yeah. Other than that, I played Star Wars Legion. And uh, it's steadily going strong. It really, really is uh, in our area. It's a big turnout. We started a league. 
And uh, so you were, I remember a few months ago, you were kind of doing it unofficially. Are you allowed to actually have organized events now? Uh, well, that's the thing is, uh, no, you can, you cannot have official organized events. So what we're doing is unofficial thing. It's the, the store isn't involved. It's just us. We happen to be playing there. Which is really weird. You know, I mean, I get like where FFG's coming from, but like our governor has removed a mask mandate, so we're we're all operating under local laws and stuff, you know. But anyway, it's yeah. Apparently, we got in trouble for having a tournament a couple months ago, but uh, yeah. So yes, we're just doing it unofficially. I mean, we're we're playing, and you know, there you go. Yeah, I have stuff for it at the painter still. I want to try to run a three AT uh, RT list with Rebels and see how that does. And if that okay. if that doesn't work, I want to run uh, two T forty sevens. You know the the snow speeders because huh. I have yeah. fun with that. Although it gets really expensive really quick. Uh, I think my five hundred point list. And, you know, there's no grand strategy with me. I'm literally just, well, what bullshit do I have that actually fits in in this? Um, it's two uh, squads of Rebel Troopers with Z6s, Luke Skywalker, uh, the Commando Sniper Team, and uh, the DirecTV Dish. That thing. <laughs> Which all that thing does is scare people. Look, it's great for area denial. If you put it on this side of the board, no, he's not going to put any anything over there. Even though mm-hmm. it's only, like, what, five black dice? That's it. So the best you can do is, like, aim and then roll. And if you roll like me, which is terrible, it's, <laughs> it's not that great. It's kind of expensive for what it does. But I did see in the last tournament we had a guy try to list with three of those. And I think he did fair to middling, you know. I, you know, he certainly didn't win, but he didn't lose either. I think he was, you know, with that list, ended up in the middle. So it's kind of neat when somebody's dumb enough to like walk out in front of them, in front of two of them, because they have like a, fi- a five. <laughs> Quick, run into range. Yeah, they have a five, you know, stick range. What do you even call that? How do you say like, hey, what's the range on that thing? Oh, it's five sticks. Five sections, five pieces of plastic. I don't know. I just say five. It's range five. Yeah, but it's weird though. <laughs> five what? Just five. I know, just five. It's range five. Um, because you've got yeah. I always hate it when and FFG's the worst about it. They do proprietary stuff, like they have proprietary dice for crying out loud. That's just so annoying. And uh, so yes, no, you can't do an actual measuring stick. We can't say it has a thirty-six inch range. It is. It's range five sticks. So, I don't know. Anyway. Continuing when you talk about Legion, I think we mentioned it before uh, last episode or whatever, but the limited edition Commander Luke Skywalker is coming out. Does that sound familiar to you guys? Yeah, the orange flight suit guy. Yep. Mm -hmm. And this is a very controversial decision from Fantasy Flight Games. And uh, all you gotta do is like hop on to the your local Legion Facebook group, or just the Legion Facebook group, Twitter, anything, to see people's opinions on it. So essentially what it is, is and I don't even know the truth of this. I don't know what's the truth. 
what's a lie. I, I don't know. Because I hear so many conflicting things. What I do know is, if you get your product directly from Fantasy Flight Games, like, you know, Richard and Roy's, you know, gaming store, I think you have to buy X amount of dollars worth, perhaps in the month of November. I don't know. And you, in exchange, you get three of these loops. And I have heard conflicting reports that they are free to the uh, the store, or they cost like twelve bucks or thirty dollars or whatever. But what I do know is, people are taking them either the store or people that purchase them from the store and are turning around and scalping them for about one hundred fifty bucks. So. It, it kind of sucks because here it is. It's this free thing. And I am hearing a lot of great things uh, from people that bought them from their their local store. That's like, oh, my local store did a lottery for them. You know, you spent $10 on a ticket. Or if you, if you for every $10 worth of product you bought, you get a ticket to, you know, get in, whatever. And, uh, and on the opposite end of that, I'm hearing... Some stores are like, oh, no, it's it's $130. That's how much we're selling this for. Because that's what it's going for on eBay. So I really don't like that at all. Especially, I'm actually trying to get one, if you follow me on Twitter, from FFG. Because um, the guy that got Legion off the ground in my area really wants one. And I feel like he really deserves one. I don't know if, if he'll even get an opportunity at my local store to buy one. I'm... positive that he will not pay $150 for one, so I'm trying to get one so I can give it to him, like, you know, thanks, Bill, you worked really hard, you made us all happy, you know, and it's a thankless job. I mean, he print 3D prints all our terrain, all out of his own pocket, he's a great guy, he's a member of the 501st, he just got in, and, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm hoping to get a copy. So they didn't respond to me on Twitter, maybe I'll email them. Don't they know we have you know, tens of listeners, dadgummit, the power, the power <laughs> we have. I mean, it's Tom Vassell and us. Come on. Yeah. But anyway. We're, uh, we're movers and shakers uh-huh. for sure. Absolutely. They, yeah, they know the name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, the other thing is I actually got off my butt and since it's, you know, the 1st of November and uh, started poking around to do what I talked about, like doing a Chance of Gaming podcast postcard. Chance of Gaming podcast postcard. Uh, and what I wanted to do was do like a podcast, uh, I'm sorry, a, a postcard game. Like you guys have seen those at conventions and stuff. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where sure. I, mean, yeah, I, I have a couple of them. I haven't really played them, but I have a couple. Me too. I, You know, I think they're really neat. They're, they're kind of niche. So the company I found that does the most of them is called Turning Point Simulations. So I reached out to them. I'm like, look, you know, guys, uh, I'm trying to do this. You're the only people I can find that actually do that does them. Can you help me out? Just try to navigate this a bit. And I can't say enough good things about them. How they were, they were like, okay, you want to do it? Because I wanted to be clear that like, hey, I'm not asking for something free. We will definitely discuss compensation, you know, when we, if and when we get to that point. So help me out with this. So they've been fantastic. 
And they offered me a couple of options, and I wanted to kind of run them by you guys and see what you thought. The first one was they put me in touch with a designer named Paul Rohrbach. I'm sorry, Paul. I know you're listening to this, and I don't know how to pronounce your last name. Rohrbach? How would you say that? Yeah. Rohrbach. He's on Board Game Geek. He's done stuff like uh, the Pocket Filet, uh, Trinault's First Flight, Into a Bear Trap, The Battle for Grozny. He's he's a published um, board game, war game author. And um, so they put me in touch with him, and he's like, well, he's like, I've got a postcard game, you know, kind of ready to go. And it's based on the Siege of Harfleur. And I'll have this linked in the show notes. And it's essentially, it's a battle in the Hundred Years' War. And okay. um, he has it all ready to go, but he doesn't have the art. So, so essentially, this is what it would run for me to publish this. It'd be like, um, say, like 500 bucks to him, but he retains rights to the game. And um, he doesn't have the art, so we would have to find an artist to do it. And say that runs like another 500 bucks. So you're at a grand and you're publishing a postcard game, essentially, that you'll give away for free. I don't think that's kind of like where I'd want to be with it. It's like, I don't mind spending money on it, but, ah, you know, it's just with that. However, I told him, I was like, well, hang on. Maybe we can do business down the road. Because, like, what if... Uh, I mean, I was I was gonna ask you guys, what do you think if we actually, and by we, I mean I'll pay for it. You know, you guys, you're you're in here though. It's us. Um, if I like paid to get the art done for this game, and then we actually published it in like a box game through somebody something. Uh, I don't know. Just just a thought. I mean, what do you think? Like, he's got it, say, okay, so I don't buy the rights. I guess I'd have to see the game. There's a big difference between a postcard game and a box game. Usually a postcard game has, obviously, very minimal components, you know, maybe some coins or a couple discs or something like that. A box game, it's hard to see how from turning one into the other. That is true. That is absolutely true. And that's only me talking. You know, he may be listening to this and go, like, no way. There's no way it would work as, as that kind of game, you know. And that's just me talking, like. And then, like, I don't know, what would it look like if we... I would just think, okay, just think about we just published the game anyway. Just whatever. <laughs> whatever it is, it's... It's what we talked about earlier, uh, the clans of Michigan. We'll publish that, you know. Hmm. I mean, what would, the, what would that even look like? You know, would it be... Well, it'd be actually be the clan. Yeah. <laughs> with a K. Eh. <laughs> clans with a K of Michigan, oi. <laughs> uh, but, I don't know, it's like... What are the advantages to just Joe Schmo actually publishing a game? Say we got that or something else, and we take it to like Tom and Mary, and and they do it. You know, I mean, I don't think you know. Of course, you, you of course you don't get rich in board gaming at all. You're lucky if you break even, and or do a little better. You know, so is it just? I mean, is there no? I mean, you get the board game geek thing where you could be look i'm a board game publisher but that's about it there's really no nothing there for just joe schmo to actually do it right no reason to huh i don't know man 
don't think so. I mean, I'm just, I don't know. It's just, you start spitballing it. You think, wow, it's, look how cool I am. I'll be, I'll be a board game publisher. And then you're like, eh, well, outside of Richard and Roy, nobody cares, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, or, you know, you may, you may go to a, you know, conventions and stuff, and a couple of guys will be like, oh, cool, I liked, I liked your game that you published. Or they'll like, you know what, I hate it. Why did you do this on this? And they're like, well, I didn't design it, I just published it. <gasps> you're just a publisher? What good are you? <laughs> you know, maybe that's it. I don't know. Just an idea. So, all that to say, what I think I am going to do is the nice guys at Turning Point Simulations offered to sell me uh, their a big block of their um, postcard games. And um, I'm going to have to figure out what is the best way for me to put my show on it, because we've been going back and forth. Because, like, they're already printed, and then I was like, well, is the other side blank? No, the other side has the rules on it. So there's going to be, like, a really small area where I can put, like, chanceofgaming.com. You know, Merry Christmas from Richard Roy and Adam, something like that. Um, and, yeah. Maybe, so. maybe you can get one of those stickers that doesn't damage it when you pull it up. Ah, but why do you want to pull it up? Why, why not leave it on there? <laughs> Well, or you could just not, write over the game. Well, no, no, no. It, could not, be the, it, could, it could be the siege of can't, chance of gaming. Yeah, I'm not going to cover it up, but I'm, I'm hoping there'll be like a little spot or, or something on there to do it. And maybe I'll ask him for um, a mix, because they have several that they do. Um, I was looking at So maybe like a mix of them and uh, just kind of go from there. I don't know. Anyway, uh, yeah, because they have like, uh, let's see, I count. One, two, three, four, five uh, on their their website uh, now that you can get. Um, so, and I guess I'll start something. I'll try to do something this week. I think I could do something through WordPress where I can like get, put a form up on Chance of Gaming where you would just give us your address, like I'm Joe Schmo at one two three Fake Street, you know, whatever. And uh, I'll send you a postcard. That's what it is. And then I want to send some to, you know, the uh, the very few companies we're friendly with. Who would that be, Richard? That's like MMP, GMT, and Tom and Mary. Is that about it? It's like, yeah, we're definitely friendly with Hollenspiel. Um, it's like three of them. We'll be friendly with Steve Jackson. Um, yes, he needs C- one. Simon. <laughs> hmm. um, uh, Tom Vassell. Send him one. Yeah, Tom Vass wants another yeah. one. <laughs> Someone up there. So naturally, since we don't uh, Lorenzo have... Lorenzo Lamas Incorporated. Yeah, since we don't have any friends in the industry, we definitely would love to send them to listeners, you know, or just people that want a free postcard game, if that's what you want. So I'll, ri- I'll rig something up and um, post it, hopefully uh, by the end of this week, if my housing woes are sorted. So uh, anyway. Uh, the next thing I had, I actually bought, uh, bought into a, uh, Kickstarter. It first popped up and I looked at it and I'm like, this is all me. This is exactly something I have wanted for a while. It is called, huh? I just scrolled past that. That coming. Six millimeter samurai figures plus scenics plus rules. It's by 2D6 Wargaming, and uh, essentially, I have been wanting to get into Feudal Japan gaming for a while, and I kind of went back and forth between um, 15mm 
and a six millimeter. So this popped on here, and I just went all in. I did their um, their sh uh, Shogun pledge, as it as it's listed for the ultimate Japanophile, which is a really weird enunciation. This pledge level is for serious contenders. It contains. It's one of those that contains all the all of the uh, the thing. Don't yeah. bring your nonsense in here. This is serious only. Uh huh. All this. How many days we have without a nonsense? Oh, it's been a while. So uh, essentially, I'm going to have a whole bunch of tiny little figures. So and um, yeah. Now they have their own rules in here, but of course, you know, historical miniatures are generic, basically. And uh, there you go. So you can play are them these for pewter. Well, I mean, they'll be metal. Not... They are metal? Okay, cool. Yes. Yeah, I mean, which is really weird. It was like, okay, growing up, the figures were lead, and every now and then, like, I find some of my old Battletech figs. So if I, like, you know, put them together or whatever, I immediately go wash my hands because they're, they're lead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it seems like in the late 90s, Rao Partha invented some kind of metal mix, and then... Yeah, it's, I don't know, I don't think it's pewter, because all this kind of stuff bends usually really well. It reminds me of palladium or whatever, they called it something that Ralph Hartha invented. It's just like a bendy, kind of cheap metal. You could absolutely, like, just smash it flat with a hammer, you know, no problem, whatever it is. But that's kind of like the most common whatever they make out of these. And then the, um, the buildings and stuff are probably going to be... Resin, plastic, something like that. A lot of companies just get that stuff 3D printed nowadays, so I don't know. Anyway, speaking of 3D printing, if you have something that you need printed, you could go to our close personal friend, Mike, over at UltraDimension.com. I have this linked in the show notes because it's weird spelling. And uh, yeah, he could print just whatever you want, anything, everything. It's all there for a price. Plus, he's got, like, his own stuff going. And uh, as I understand it, like, he's got, like, a um, miniature of the month, some kind of, like, a subscription service that he started. That's kind of new. Like, where um, you get stuff done from um, his library of selection. And, uh, yeah, the November ones are Reptiloids from uh, Ill-Gotten Games, so... There you go. So check him out. And always use your discount code, COG2019. So, there you go. On to what's on our radar. I thought this was really interesting. It's called Stargrave. And it is essentially the science fiction version of Frostgrave. If you are a role player and you're interested in miniature gaming... I would definitely steer you toward Frostgrave because that's essentially it. It's you kind of scenario based. It's like you do a party, you have bad guys, and you play your thing, and your guys level up. So it's always... and the thing about Frostgrave, at least when I think of Frostgrave, the first thing I think of is it's bring your own minis. So it's whatever you want to use. Oh yeah, this this true. Uh, this is published by Osprey Games, and uh, I mean yeah, it's there's still a lot of companies that do this, and it will do. It's considered a big release, but they are um, miniature ag agnostic, I guess is what you call it. Generally, I'm going to bring my six millimeter samurai and play. <laughs> you could. Uh, generally, <laughs> anything with um, uh, what anything with uh, historicals, especially. 
you know, that's that's the thing is uh, the like I said, the historical six millimeter samurai doesn't matter. You can play them for any other little set. Yeah, you may get something in with basing or whatever, but I don't know. Anyway, so the next one you had, the next thing we had comes from the uh, guy Sean Sutter over at relicblade.com publishes the game Relic Blade, obviously. It's got a new fantasy miniature game coming called Mystic Skies, and there is not a lot on it. I do like there's a little short guy blowing flame riding a magic carpet, and uh, you can see this in the show notes. And uh, it says, essentially, imagine yourself as a powerful sorcerer soaring above the battlefield on a magic carpet. These mystics raise gleaming magical towers from the living sand, seeking to defend their fiefdoms from rampaging monsters, bandits, and other nefarious sorcerers under the burning desert sun. So other nefarious sorcerers? Are they saying my sorcerer, sorcerer is nefarious? Is that what they're saying? I don't know. No, it's everyone else that's the bad guys. Yeah. Yeah, not everybody but me is wrong. I like that. I like the way that goes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree with that. Um, so, I mean, yeah, kind of looking at, looking at it, I, my, my first thought is, like, immediately, it seems to be, like, a fantasy version of, like, Car Wars or Gaslands, where you're kind of, like, zipping around and shooting stuff. I don't know. But, um, there's nothing out really for it. There's a tabletop simulator mod that you can, uh, get off the website linked in the show notes, and, um, yeah. And I guess we'll continue to follow it as it goes. I'm willing to bet there'll be a Kickstarter, but we'll see. Who knows? Yeah, TTS is pretty cool for. I've, I'm seeing more and more companies use that as a way to, you know, get out, um, you know, demo versions basically of games. Yeah, and uh, it's even like kind of uh, seeped into my local Legion scene with guys that are like, eh, I don't play with you guys. I only play on Tabletop Simulator, and I'll have you know. I am one of the highest-ranked Legion players in the world. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, since we can't verify that, I totally believe you, but whatever. Um, I don't know. It's I, That's the kind of thing I should be doing, but I don't. But, uh, yeah. Anyway. So the next thing, was this you or me, Richard, with Red Dust Rebellion? I might have put it on there. Space coin, man. You're right. It, um, uh, yeah. I'm not sure if this was me or you, but yes, it is Space Coin. That's the whole reason why this is on here, which I like that idea. I'm very curious to see um, what counterinsurgency on Mars is in the year 2250. And this is due for publishing in 2022, and uh, it's on P500 now, I suppose. Designed yes, by Jared. I don't know if it's at its number yet or not. Jared Carmichael. Yeah, I don't know anything else by him. Okay, so I click on him here on Board Game Geek, and it says, Host of 3-Minute Board Games and Designer of Red Dust Rebellion Volume 13 of GMT's Coin Season. 3-Minute hmm. Board Games, huh? This might be his first one. Uh-huh, see, all right, so you got this dude over here at 3-Minute, but he's publishing games. Why can't I publish games? I'm just saying, he's got a YouTube channel. He's publishing games. Uh, he's got 43,000 subscribers. That's how many subscribers we need. If I get that at um, youtube.com slash chance of gaming, 
43,000 subscribers, I will absolutely publish a game. I will. I'll publish a coin game. I'll do it. I'm just going to need 43,000 subscribers. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to need about... Hold on, I got a calculator right here. 42,990 more. Well, you'll see, let's see. 43, 1, 2, 3, minus... Mm, about that, carry the 2. All right, so I'm going to need about 42,952 people. So, all right, so get on that if you guys, you know, start a grassroots kind of thing and get that together and, yeah. I will absolutely publish a coin game. I will publish a coin game based on um, either the Burger Wars or Cola Wars from the 80s. That's what I'll do. I'm very curious to see how Counterinsurgency will work at Pepsi, but I'll figure, I'll figure it out. I'll do it. I'll make it happen. So uh, You have the, uh, the Southern faction of RC, of Royal Crown? Oh, yeah. They're total outliers. Yeah, absolutely. And there'll be a huge, like, struggle over, like, who gets Dr. Pepper, and, yeah, anyway. You know, at one point, Pepsi had, like, the fifth largest Navy in the world. I've heard that. I did that. hear about that. I may be wrong on the number, but, yeah. At one point, the Soviet Union, I think it was when they broke up, and they they sold a bunch of old ships to, or used a bunch of old ships to pay uh, Pepsi in scrap metal, and before the, everything was scrapped, Pepsi had, like, the fifth largest Navy in the world. <laughs> nice. So make sure you include that in your game. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> it, it'll be a nuclear strike on, I guess, Atlanta to eliminate Coke. Yeah. And, yeah. Hold on. Uh, the next thing we had on What's Your Radar, What's On Your Radar, is a game called Hegemony from the Rand Corporation. And apparently, somebody posted this on like the uh, War Games Facebook group, and uh, apparently it is a really expensive game. It's like two hundred fifty bucks or something like that, and it is a game used by U.S. defense strategists and policymakers to have the uh, perennial challenge of developing capstone documents that can coherently articulate and guide how the U.S. Department of Defense will deliver and maintain combat-credible military forces to deter war and provide national security in alignment with national strategy. So it, it's like, what if a government think tank built a board game? And, uh, and here it is. Yes. Yeah, click on the purchase thing, and it is $250. Should I message them and ask them for a review copy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, I just want a review copy, because it's like those guys that had that like $700 tank game wouldn't give us one. What if you guys will give us one, right? Uh, I kind of want to yeah. ask, yeah, can and I give one away? That'd be funny, and then um, it would be, um, was it Matt? Not or? only that, but I think you have to have like two judges in addition to the players or something like that and every it's 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 a whole thing they have it's to not be... i mean i'm they put it out there as a game but it's not it's not a game in the sense of we think of games it's it's more about you know uh, an exercise for public policy makers yeah, they have to be federal judges Yes, they have, yes, they they have, have to, to be federal, confirmed. Yes, by confirmed federal judges are the only ones allowed 
to do this. So this is a really complex game to set up. I'm just saying. <laughs> but I will say, can we get on Tabletop Simulator? No, no, no. Uh, the thing that uh, Roy's on, Board Game Arena. Yeah. Yes, yes, let's get it on Arena. We can get just, you know, we all know a couple of federal judges. We can get them on here and uh, via yeah. Skype or whatever, and they'll just, yeah. Awesome. The only winning move is not to play. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know a guy, but I know a guy who knows a guy. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'd be on a list by just messaging them, you know, and asking them something. Like, all of a sudden my lights start blinking, my phone won't turn on, and yeah. <laughs> but Rand Corporation, I swear they... Seems like I know the name from... NPR, like, you know, sponsored by yeah, I think, something, something, yeah. something, and the Rand Corporation. Okay, Aren't here we they, go from the player's they... guide. Hegemony can be played in a modestly sized conference room equipped with a projection screen and a table big enough for the game board and 10 to 12 people. Assuming trained players and facilitators are available, a game session of the length necessary to complete a useful number of turns for the session's learning objectives will typically require a half day to a full day commitment. That's so totally a like a con game. game to me. <laughs> yep. That's that's a that's a game you bring to Gen Con. Yes. Now, okay, this will be a ch- I need a uh, a championship for this five hundred dollar buy in winner ta- winner take ninety percent because I got to get my be quit. So uh, mm-hmm. the Rand Corporation is an American nonprofit global policy think tank created in 1948 by the Douglas Aircraft Company to offer research and analysis to the United States Armed Forces. So, there you go. Yeah, I can't think of what they actually uh, sponsor on NPR, but I, I do remember hearing, like, this is brought to you by blah, 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 blah. Uh, so, their landing page has a model of the coronavirus that appears to be made out of a potato and a bunch of uh, matches. Okay, that's... Yes, you are right, and it's spray painted. Yep. Well, it might be a potato or well, a I, ball I, of cookie dough. I don't want to fault the Rand Corporation for that. It, they could actually just be, uh, they have a stock photo subscription, and that's just what they chose. I don't know. Uh, it could be, yeah. It's possible. Let's, yep. let's not slander their art department at the Rand Corporation, because it, <laughs> it could be something else. Because, you know, they're listeners. Yes. Oh, yeah, well, after I link them in the show notes, they're going to listen to this episode. Them and all a bunch right. of dudes from the the, uh, the NSA and CIA and all that stuff. I don't know. Yep. And Lorenzo Lamas. And Lorenzo Lamas. No, 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 wait. Okay, remember, who was it we interviewed that time that we just had, like, a really great interview with them? They were a board game designer. And then, like, when we went and did the show and edited the interview in, we discovered that was it Volca or who was it that actually works as a consultant for like the CIA oh, yeah. or something? And we're like, Volca. yeah, it could be Volca or it could be Doug Bush. Yeah, either either or both. We're like, wow, yeah. we, we had. I no think idea. Volca used to work for the CIA. I don't think he does anymore. We had Doug no idea. Bush has some sort of military job or yeah. military government job. I'm not sure what. That was the joke. It was like, yeah, we had no idea that there were like 16 other people listening in on that interview when we conducted it. Uh, it's like, look, our, our listenership doubled. Yay. So, all right. That soft thump that you hear is the Halo team landing on your roof. Mm-hmm. Look, okay, my headcanon <laughs> is one of those NSA goons actually like likes the show and he continues to listen to this day. 
That's my absolutely. That's my head yep. cannon. He was like, "Well, yeah. I was spying on those people, but they made me laugh, so I just kept yeah. listening." Plus, I'm really into board gaming, board gaming, weather, and politics. That's why I tune in. His wife is like, "Why do you listen to that stupid Joey show? It's my job, okay?" Yes. So, uh, on actual news, did you guys hear about Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman suing um, Wizards of the Coast? I can't keep up on lawsuits anymore. I know, right? Just as long as it's not us. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. There's no need for that, fellas. Just send that cease and desist. That's all I need. I'll just take that right on down. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Steve Jackson, just send the cease and desist. That's all I need. Um, so, yeah. This is, uh, they were going to do some, some more content. You guys have probably both read Dragonlance, yes? Mm-hmm. I read some of it. I mean, there's, there's tons of them, but I definitely oh, yeah. read some of them. Well, I yeah. mean, I guess I kind of fall back to like just the original, you know, yeah. whatever the, I, the trilogy, maybe the, what, I can't remember if it was a trilogy or quadrilogy, the first, whatever the first one was. I haven't gone much past that, but I I loved it as a kid. I thought it was great, um, and yeah, and I like Weiss and uh, Hickman, or just yeah, I like most of their stuff that I have read. Anyway, they created Dragonlance; it's their baby, and I know they have had Dragonlance source books for pretty much every version of D and D, at least from second edition on, and they were going to do one for the current edition, and uh, had to. And also do a new Dragonlance trilogy, and they are claiming they, Wizards of the Coast, have maliciously nullified the millions of dollars in remuneration the two authors were expecting from the new Dragonlance trilogy. And um, they claim it was done to deflect public outcry during a time when Wizards of the Coast was being accused of misogyny and racist hiring. So, I guess the gist of this was. They, Wizards of the Coast was under the microscope for some shenanigans. And Weiss and Hickman are saying that they decided to publicly say, nah, we don't want a new trilogy. In As order a kind of a wag the dog sort of scenario, right? Right, to distract yeah. from the fact that they were under the microscope for misogyny and racism and, and stuff like this. So, uh, said in August this year... Uh, on a conference call attended by lots of lawyers, Weiss and Hickman say they were told Wizard, they were told Wizards of, they should, Wizards of the Coast would no longer approve any more drafts of the trilogy. Without Wizards of the Coast's explicit approval, a three-book deal was dead in the water, as Wizards of the Coast owns the license. And they argue, Hickman and Weiss argue that the approach is unlawful and breaks the signed agreement. So, Amazingly, the official filing then goes on to outline that Wizards of the Coast was embroiled in a PR disaster at the time around racism and sexism and the dra that the Dragonlance project was canceled because of it. So, I don't know. You know, on top of all this, you know, Wizards did come out, and we covered this in the last podcast, that they are looking to uh, reactivate three old D&D settings. And that's the thing is, you know, nobody knows what that was, at least as of September. Everybody's like, ooh, please do Dark Sun or mm -hmm. Spelljammer. Well, another one that they wanted them to do was Dragonlance. I mean, I would have to say Dark Dark Sun, Spelljammer, and maybe Planescape 
because I see those as like really, really original. I mean, I'm honestly surprised there wasn't already a Dragonlance setting for this edition, or Greyhawk, or Ravenloft, but that's just me. But anyway, what would you guys like to see out of all of them to do? Darkstone. Darkstone. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, the, Dragonlance, uh, Dragonlance in D&D was weird because you didn't make characters. You played the characters from the books. Hmm. So if they did it like they used to anyway, that's how it would be. But who knows what they would do next time if they did it. True. Um, so in this vein of, you know, uh, shenanigans and um, role-playing, there was a great Reddit oh. thread uh, a couple weeks ago about yeah. if you have female players in your group, don't make sexual assault jokes every time they paralyze an unconscious. Um, you know, I, I I think I've talked on the show. People several... have to be told this apparently. I, I know, I know. It's it's really really <laughs> weird, but maybe it's we're older, maybe we're out of touch. You know, Rich, I don't know. But, uh, Maybe because I have three daughters. Who knows? I, I don't know. <laughs> but um, this one of my favorite subreddits, and I've mentioned it on the show several times, is RPG Horror Stories. And yeah. they're always like this. It's always like, well, you know, the weird neckbeard guy came in and he said this and did that and it was awful and blah, 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 blah. It's, this is like really, really common. And I guess, mm-hmm. you know, it's been a very, very long time since just tabletop gaming, period, has been just a male space. It really, really hasn't. I think I blame uh, Magic the Gathering. I think they probably started it. I feel like that's when I first started to see uh, females coming into this supposed male space. And I guess blame would be the wrong word to use, because I guess I... What else would you say? Okay. I would say it's magic is responsible. I don't know. I'm not trying to put it in a negative light is what I'm trying to say. Anyway, so um, once that started, what's it? Oh, I was going to just add another Reddit thread that I had seen recently about a a female GM. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, just as far as who is responsible, if you want to call it that, I don't think it's just Magic the Gathering necessarily, but just... Just the fact that RPG has become much more mainstream obviously means that it's going to be more more people are going to be wanting to play, and as more people get in, it literally comes out of the basement. So <laughs> absolutely, it's um, I know with the board game renaissance, you know that really caused uh, a lot of female players to come out and and stuff like that, and I, you occasionally see them in miniature gaming. Oh my gosh, in fact, uh, the last Legion game I played was with a female player. And, it, you know, it, it's, I mean, I, you know, of course I didn't say anything or, or whatever, but it is, it's almost like a unicorn sighting. Like, you know, I can't believe, you know, because miniature gaming is still, I would argue, predominantly male. And I would argue that historical miniature gaming is super duper predominantly male. However, that being said, with historical miniature gaming, you generally get a more mature clientele. They're not making, you know, off-color jokes or, you know, whatever that you would be, you would worry if a uh, lady came into this thing. I know in our local 40K group, we have a couple of uh, trans uh, players 
And, um, I mean, I've never really seen any issues, uh, at least at my local shop. Now, I'm not saying there hasn't been. It's just maybe I don't know. But uh, I'm happy to see that happens. And we have a lot of local role-playing groups that seem to be pretty diverse. At least I see them playing in the shop. But, again, I have no idea what goes on over there. Maybe it's, you know, bad things. Who knows? But, basically, this Reddit thread and whatnot and more that we'll post is people shouldn't act this way. It You really, really shouldn't. And I wonder how much of it is somebody who is just used to being in a male space where they're like, okay, I'm used to saying this, and, you know, I feel comfortable saying this. Or maybe people that have just no, what is social, uh, what is it, mores or, or whatever, that they don't understand that they're not supposed to say this. But regardless, there's no excuse. You shouldn't, if you're hearing this, if you're listening to me, you shouldn't, you know, do this. Don't make sexual assault jokes. And, yeah, this is Anyway, what was this other uh, thread you had? Thread thread? Oh, there was a, it was a, from a female GM, um, and she said, "I won't, I won't run a game with with uh, only LGBT." I'm not gonna say all the letters, but um, only those sorts of people or women. I won't run it for straight white dudes. So I mean, you know, if it. I don't know, creepy white dudes who, you know, are, are um, kind of creepy and, and rapey. You're kind of pricing yourself out of the game market. So don't do that shit because you're going to find yourself without anybody to play a game with at all. And they get so mad, though. They're like, though, I've been saying and talking like this for years, you know, and then they come into my thing. And, you know, so why do I have to change? Why can't they change? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, but anyway, I look, I have heard, like, at least at my local shop, a couple of people being banned, you know, from the store for various things. And, um, and yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I will say, at least, I know, you know, this is Mississippi. I have never heard of, in the past, I can't think of any period, but I would definitely say since I lived here in my local store, I've never heard of a racial dis- thing being said or, or whatever. So I'm, I'm glad for that. You know, small, mm-hmm. small victories, I suppose. Um <laughs> And again, I say my shop is pretty diverse, sort of, you know, uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I say diverse and maybe somebody that looked at it would be like, oh, no, that's not diverse because you don't have whatever this. I don't know. But uh, there's a lot of people that are different ages, races and sexual orientation and whatnot in the store, you know, playing together, which is really, really nice. And that's the way it should be. You should always be nice. Be nice to people. Be nice. That's good advice. Yes. Just be nice. It doesn't cost a thing to be nice, you know. Anyway. Uh, oh, yeah. This has been fascinating for the past couple of weeks. Apparently, uh, back in late October, Logan Paul, who's some YouTube star and... Uh, it's like him and some... Oh, yeah. It started on October 9th when rapper Logic paid $183,812 for a 
rare Charizard Pokemon. And so that kind of started this thing, started the ball rolling on this. And Logan Paul is another YouTube guy. He um, paid $375,000 for a box of Pokemon cards and whatever. And it's why this is so fascinating is you have to understand the day before Logic uh, bought that Pokemon card, Pokemon cards were worthless. The most valuable card in that set before Logic paid that much for it was something like $84 or something like that. Hmm. And now the value of Pokemon cards have shot through the roof. In the current set, a Charizard will... Uh, there's like one in there that's like worth like almost $400. Because like my local shop, they have flown off the shelves. And um, apparently another reason why this is going, because it all started with Logic and whatnot, there are bored sports card guys sitting at home and apparently sports cards are really hard to get right now because of the pandemic, they've all started buying into and speculating on Pokemon. These people know nothing about... They do not play the game. All they know about is the cards, you know, and what the value is. So they have started buying them and flipping them. And so it has just caused a massive, massive spike in the sales of Pokemon. So if you're listening to this and you are sitting on some old uh, Pokemon cards, I highly suggest you dig them out and go to tcgtrader.com and look and see what you got. They have a fantastic oh. app. They have an app on your phone, and you can put your card down, and it will actually, and pass it over, and it'll say, this is what it is, and this is how much it's worth. So, just interesting. interesting. Yeah, and look, and I'll also say, <laughs> let me caution you, that this will not last. It will not. This is a flash in the pan. I seriously doubt by January. So you're saying 1, that I should not cash out my 401 k No, yes, please. Cards. By, by mm. all means, do not have, yeah, cash out your 401k and buy Pokemon cards. This isn't. This is not going to last till January one. I promise you. So, but if you're a local shop that has like, uh, um, you know, products sitting on the shelf that hadn't moved. Yeah, just ride that wave, baby. Just don't buy any more. Uh, it is funny, though. Um, like, all immediately, like, all the, like, Walmarts and Targets, you know, that barely sell cards anyway, all theirs flew off the shelf because hmm. they, they actually had them clearanced out at about half of what, like, your local store was going for. So it's just been a really, really interesting ride to see but yeah it'll all come down but it's the main reason why is influencers quote unquote have kind of shined <coughs> a light on it and then you have bored sports card guys who cannot get sports cards which those guys are really interesting my local shop kind of keeps a couple of shelves of sports cards just for a select clientele and I've been in there when these guys come in they're buying packs of cards, quote unquote, for like 80 bucks a piece or something like that. And it's because they have cards that will can immediately be worth like nine grand in there. Or they can, if it's like a really good rookie prospect, they could sit on it for a year and then that card becomes like 400 bucks. 
And the guy talked about, like, he's like, oh, yeah. He's like, I quit my job. He's like, I've been doing this for, like, three years now. He said, all I do is buy, you know. It's like, I just come in here when I can't find any online. And I'll buy them, and I flip them on eBay. And they also do a thing called, like, card breaks. It's like where, it's like, I have the box here. And Roy buys in. And since I don't know anything about sports cards, uh, about baseball, let me just drop old baseball players. So I have this box of cards, and Roy said buys in for $75, Derek Jeter. So what that means is I'm going to open up this entire box live on stream. Any Derek Jeter I pull out of there immediately goes to Roy. However, there could be no Derek Jeters in there. And so Roy just paid $75 for nothing. It's re- the concept is really, really fascinating to me. And uh, I just have no idea who any of the people are to be able to do it. I could probably do it like with, you could do it with Magic the Gathering. You could spend, uh, you know, Roy buys $75 and he gets like five green cards out of there. The first five green rares, something like that. But again, it's a gamble. And of course, that's why it's successful. It taps into that little thing in your brain about gambling, you know, and reward and risk reward and all that stuff. So anyway. Mm Mm-hmm. Just interesting. So, uh, moving on, there are, I had no idea this is, this is a thing, but there are the Charles S. Robert Awards. It used to be a thing like every year and they haven't had it for a few years, but they just recently brought it back. So yeah, I didn't want to get into it too much, but it's, it's, it's Wargaming Awards. And, um, I mean, basically it's it's a popularity contest is what it is because I think they just had a vote for it. Um, the the one thing I thought was really interesting. Have you played U Boot, Adam? I know we've talked about it, but uh, I don't know if you've played it. Oh my gosh! Um, oh, the board game. No, no, I have not. Yeah, no, I have not. Okay, so I haven't played it either. Um, but that pretty much ran away with the, the awards completely this year. So they the voters were a big fan of U Boot. The, the board game. And you know, that's kind of been a thing that I have, it's one of those things where I've been waiting on somebody else to buy, but it seems like I've been waiting for somebody else to buy it for like two years now. And, yeah. uh, and maybe I should buy it myself. Maybe I should treat myself for, um, <laughs> treat, treat yourself. Exactly. <laughs> maybe, maybe I should, I should treat myself for, uh, Christmas, you know, cause I've been a good boy this year. Now, do they have a podcast? Um, they have a podcast um, category. Uh, I was looking through what? that now. Yeah, I, was I can't remember what the one was. I I tagged Richard on uh, some podcast. Won it, and I was like, "Come on, Richard, you can train up. We we can win this next year. We we can do this." <laughs> anyway, but um, yeah, okay, yes, yeah, the CSR. I remember. I, I I look at the logo, and I could recognize that. Do they, yeah. like, they have a miniatures section? I'm curious. I don't, I don't remember. I, I'm just kind of scrolling through because um, there are a whole bunch of them on here, and it's yeah. real, it's really interesting that they kind of like tagged them in with um, some very kind of succinct categories like best post World War II Cold War and hypothetical era or uh, best World War II you know era. Yeah. They get best postcard game on there for you. Best. Mm, the, try be, some of those. Okay, here's best post Napoleonic to pre 
World War Two era board game. So yeah, you can get really, yeah, very kind of laser focused in there. Anyway, it did remind. They do have like uh, for computer game blocks. Julius Caesar, Richard the Third reminded me. I still haven't bought those. And then I looked on Steam. I still haven't bought them because they've never gone on sale. So there you go. <laughs> That's that is why uh, I don't pay full price for PC games um, because they're supposed to always go on sale. But these historical publisher uh, board gaming publishers don't seem to understand that. They can't. They don't get the message. They don't put their stuff on sale, and it annoys me. But anyway, that being said, Unity of Command two is supposed to be really good and one in this thing, and it is currently on sale for 15 bucks. It got Best Computer War Game Graphics, Unity of Command 2, and uh, it is currently on sale for 15 bucks. So, on Steam. So, there you go. Alright. What else do we have here? What is next? Scroll down. Oh. War Game Illustrated Awards for 2020. Now, this is a thing you can vote on, right? It's not done? Yeah, this one hasn't been announced yet. This one's still out there for voting if you're interested in or care. Yeah, I, I'll post this. But this one is definitely more miniature-based, Adam. Yes, yes. I'll post this in the show notes. And uh, unfortunately, no no, um, no podcast. No podcast thing. Yeah. I do want to find one of these and see if we can like um, get uh, get it stacked. Like, uh, uh, like, you know, get like ten listeners uh, to like go and um, and get it like, you know, kind of in. Just to break drink. their their website. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you what we should do. What we should do just is just get the Russians to vote for us. Yeah. <laughs> now, now that they have nothing else to do, uh, we could, we could probably get them really cheap. Um, the Internet Research Agency is uh, is for hire now. Um, and okay, I am going to toss this on the, the show notes because I find the uh, the name fascinating. And somebody sent this link to me um, the other day. Uh, apparently, there is a a uh, a rule a, a, a rules coming for a dadgummit, I think I have to be a member to do this. Anyway, what I'm trying to say there's a historical rule game. Ah, a historical war game rule set called Never Mind the Bill Hooks. And of course, it looks to be um, War of the Roses or the Hundred Years War or whatever, because the Bill Hook was this halberd thing. Anyway. And uh, yeah, I'll have that linked in the show notes. I thought it was funny. Now that I messed it up, because I couldn't see. Whatever. Uh, the next thing we had was there is a new Necromunda house book out, and I have this ordered, which is the House of Iron. This is my favorite um, house in Necromunda. This is the, um, what do you call it? Not Orlocks. Yes, it is Orlocks, because I always get them confused in the uh, this scrawny other guys. I like House Orlock because they have a lot of guns, and so that's they're going to be my favorite. Oh, yeah, and they also have the attack Cyber Mastiffs, so... Um, I actually bought this gang a couple weeks ago, and I'm going to toss it in the box to go to the painter. And uh, But I still need the rule book. So it's coming out. And I'm running through this because I'm um, losing my voice. Thirsty Sword Lesbians is on Kickstarter. We've talked about this a good bit. Although it may be finished, but... No, 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 you've got three days left to go. So by the time you hear this, 
Uh, if everything works out, you'll have two days to get in on the Thirsty Sword Lesbians RPG. Now, I will say, when they when they launched this thing, based on us talking about it on the show, they wanted a measly twenty grand. And as of this podcast recording, they are at two hundred and thirty three thousand dollars so almost a quarter of a million dollars to evil hat productions for thirsty sword lesbians all because of us yeah all because of us and what i don't understand like richard is like what is the thirst mechanic like or is it like they're trying to like do stuff with swords and they get really thirsty and they have to stop and hydrate because hydration is very important you should think roy was going to research that question i don't know it's, they're they're thirsty for WAP. Could be, could be. I, um, I didn't want to actually say the <laughs> phrase because then I'd blush. I know. It, <laughs> it's um, it is a fifteen dollar pledge gets you the PDF, or let's see, thirty dollars you get the roll twenty module as well as the PDF. Um. Can get community copies. I'm not sure. Can you get a physical copy? Yes, yes, you can. For thirty dollars, you get a hardcover copy of the game, as well as the PDF. So there you go. Do they have like a really big pledge on here? Oh my god. Okay, okay. Pledge sixty nine dollars or more. Nice, <laughs> nice. nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I I do love it when you guys do uh, Kickstarters that have a sense of humor companies please by all means continue to do this you get a hardcover copy you get the roll 20 campaign module four community copies uh, immediate access to the prototype pdf and you get a final pdf and you get a purchase code to get a at cost software print on demand copy and you get pdfs of all funded stretch goals so there you go there you go thirsty sword i think lesbians. i want to ask my uh FLGS and see if they'll stock this for me. Sure. Could be. I mean, you know, we're making a lot of jokes about it, but with it all seriously, I don't think this is like an adult game. I think this is just they decided to have some fun with wordplay. And I mean, I think there is a romance mechanic involved with this, but I don't think it's it's, I do not believe it at all. It's, it's an adult game, as in naughty stuff, you know, so. It said a sword duel can end in kissing. A witch can gain her powers by helping others find love, and an entire campaign can be built around vagabond matchmakers piloting their sentient gay spaceship from system to system. Come on, how can you not back this? I'm going to back this right now. Come on, at the $30 level. There you go. No, it's $69. No, not at $69. I'm already all. Uh, in. I'm already all in on that uh, six millimeter. Um, uh, oh, the samurai. The samurai. Yeah. So I don't have. I don't have the spare cash. Let's get in there. Okay. So, well. Uh, moving on, the next thing is Anakin has come to Legion, and there has been much weeping and gnashing of teeth. There are, I know locally, I know on the internet, there are many people that think he's a little overloaded with all the fun stuff he can do. So he's got Jump 1, the, the Gemso Mastery, which means defending, he can spend a dodge token to gain... Um, was it uh, Surge to Shield? And then uh, he's got Flawed. Add your Flaw card 
to an opponent's hand. People are like, what does that mean? What is Claude? Uh. He's immune to pierced. Oh, yeah, and he's tempted. You can equip uh, upgrades in any alignment, so I'm assuming he can do light side and dark side. He's got impact three and pierce three. So people are like, unless that guy is like 300 points, he's got too much stuff. All I can say well, is... he's at 160 for base. Uh, I don't know. That just seems... That seems cheap. It's me- me. melee only, though. Although I guess you could get the force throw card, the saber throw. Card. I love that. That's my. I take. I take nothing else. If I don't take anything else, I will take that. I'll Luke Skywalker. I will do the the, the sword throw because I love it. Because it, in my opinion, Legion is really dominated by lightsabers. In my opinion. Now with this, if I played clones, I would definitely buy this. However, I wouldn't use the figure. I would go get a. I guess I'd have to get it 3D printed. A Jake Lloyd with a lightsaber uh, thing. <laughs> and that's what I would feel. And that, that goofy-ass helmet? Yes, yes. And that uh-huh. stupid, stupid helmet that he wore. And, you know, this is pod racing. One look, of his command cards can be yippee. <laughs> look, okay, you know the little <laughs> bastard is in X-Wing, don't you? He's he's in X-Wing. You can, um, he's, because they put out that little Naboo Starfighter. And he's one of the pilots you could do. And one of the... Oh, okay. Yeah, he actually has barrel roll built into something he did. And everybody's like, ha-ha, that's funny. Anyway. <laughs> uh, the next thing we had was Warlord Games has Luftwaffe Field Division for bolt action. They're previewing it. And it's actually out at this point that we do this show. Uh, it's in the latest um, book. The D-Day British and uh, campaign D-Day British and Canadian sectors. Now, this is the kind of thing I'm always interested in when it comes to, hey guys, let's all get together and you know let's play a game. We're going to do a league and let's all play bolt action. Blah 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 blah. Anyway, I'm never normal and choose something like I'm going to play Japanese or I'm going to play the Germans or I'm going to be Americans. I'm never that. I'm always like, what weird stuff can I actually play that looks different or whatever. And this would be it. So essentially, if, if you didn't know, at this point of D-Day, um, Germany did not have a lot of aircraft. So they had all these guys that were in the Luftwaffe, which is you know their air force, without a lot of jobs to do. And so they didn't have a lot of aircraft, and they were very short on manpower. So somebody put, you know, you got your chocolate in my peanut butter. And it was like, hey, look. We're going to take all these guys that are supposed to be flying planes and working on planes. We're going to give them guns. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> so when they go up over the wall, they stick their arms out and they go, yes. I'm coming to get you. That's how they do it. They put their arms out and they, they make plane noises. <laughs> and a guy riding on the back with a machine gun. It's a whole thing. Anyway, I also like it because they field crappy captured French equipment. So only the best for the Luftwaffe in World War II. Well, I mean, that was true in the beginning uh, because it was what's-his-name's uh, pet um, pet division, but uh, that's a whole history lesson. But anyway, this is the kind of thing I would field, and I would love to actually field a thing of these. And, um, dadgummit, uh, maybe I should get some of these for Christmas, too. And, yeah, anyway, I don't know. Well, the great thing about... Yeah, I know. The great thing about Bolt Action is you don't need a lot of figures. It's about the same amount of figures as Legion. So it's not like 40k okay. where you need like 100 guys and big giant tanks or whatever. It's literally like you can only field usually one tank. 
is it. Just like Legion, you know. Well, I think Legion you can do too, but anyway, it's it's what I consider a large scale skirmish game. Anyway, it just seems something weird to, to do and whatever. Anyway. So the next thing is former Blizzard legend Chris Messon launches a tabletop gaming company. Alright, first of all, I don't know who Chris Messon is, but he is coming off Blizzard, and he was there for 23 years. So, you know, he started with World, from Warcraft, Orcs and Humans, all the way up to World of Warcraft. So, that's kind of a really big thing, and he wants to do a tabletop gump, uh, company, and he did, and it's called War Chief Gaming. But that's the thing, is like, everybody's like, well, what kind of gaming is it going to be? I do see, like, if you look on his Twitter, and I'll try to have this linked in the show notes, he plays Legion. So, that's something. I'm just hoping it's not another board game company, you know. That's... Yeah, it seems it seems odd to, to announce your company rather than your game. Yeah, but I think if you're him... In that sense, that it is you are um, you you have this pedigree coming from this giant company and whatever, and yeah, you could do it. And he's also posting uh, pictures of 40k models. And if you look in the background, there's a case full of them in some of them. So does you know if he says he is a tabletop gamer? Oh yeah, he's posted videos. He's got a three uh, uh, another video of Age of Sigmar stuff. So he is a tabletop gamer, and he formed a tabletop company. So that makes me think he is going to do a tabletop thing. I just hope it's not, you know, when it was first announced, I was like, eh, I don't want it to be, you know, another RPG company. And, I, and the reason why I say that is because it doesn't do anything for me. Sorry, I'm, I'm being selfish. Uh, or no, another board game company. I'm like, well, because I'm always interested in a miniature company especially one with some pedigree and possibly some money behind it, you know? Anything that's done and done well would be really good, but I don't know. So uh, we'll see. We'll continue to follow that. Uh, the next thing we have is... Um, ah, yeah, Leviathans, The Great War. This is... Golly, if you are a long-time listener, I'm talking like, you know two, three iterations of this podcast before, uh, you will know I have followed this game for a very, very long time. Oh, I kind of remember this game. It was a fantasy flight game, right? uh, No, um, no, it was supposed to come from Catalyst Gaming, the guys that do Battletech. But, um... Oh, yeah, okay. It does look... uh, It looks like one that Fantasy Flight did. In fact, several companies have done the whole steampunk battleship you know, mm-hmm. thing. But the, this game, I don't even know if it ever came out. I actually interviewed the designer a decade ago uh, on this, and uh, I have no idea, honestly, if this game ever came out. And it's essentially... Yes. It, says, My... it, does says, it says it did, but I don't think I've ever seen any evidence of it, personally. So, I have a friend, DJ Tasty Freeze, who has a copy of this game. It's a starter set. No way, really? And I think there's three, maybe three or four models per side. Huh. This is the one I'm thinking of. Interesting. Uh, well, anyway, it's supposed to relaunch at some point this year. It says coming to Kickstarter in 2020. Well, you've got about, <laughs> yeah, about another six weeks left, buddy. So, 
I hope you get on that. I hope you meet that deadline. And last but not least. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I do remember this. No, I'm just I'm I'm racking my brain here. I do remember seeing this and and demoing it even. I mean, I remember seeing like pictures of dem- demos and like mock-ups and all this stuff, but I don't think I ever saw it on the shelf or on the internet mm. for sale. But I mean, I'm not saying it didn't. I just remember me. And last but not least, Fifth Angel Studios acquires the Mercs line. Now. This is a game that I still have a couple of forces for. Essentially what it was, um, and the, again, the, if you're a long-time listener, I've interviewed the guy that wrote this game and had that old company and all this stuff. Um, you played this game on a 2 by 2 mat with about five figures each side, and you were a mercenary squad fighting for corporate interest is essentially what it was, but it was a neat IP. They did an RPG, I think, for it, and some other stuff, but uh, apparently in 2021, products in the current Mercs 2.0 range will be available again uh, in your at your local retailer from Fifth Angel Studios, and they're going to do new a new range of studio, uh, new range of miniatures to support the growth of Mercs lines. I, you know, it was kind of neat. It was like there were like the there was a Brazilian squad that did something. The Russian squad had like heavy armor and yeah, I remember a lot about it. But it's been a very long time since I actually looked at it. And like I said, I still have at least one, maybe two forces uh, <coughs> packed away somewhere. I don't think I got rid of them, but maybe I did. Uh, anyway, so wow, end of show as my uh, voice. Uh, Dice down because we've been talking a while. Because we've been, it's been a while since we were all together and stuff. So there you go. <coughs> so um, yeah, uh, I think Roy, do you have any more ballot boxes you need to stuff as you go by? Because I'm doing that tomorrow. No, I I got all I need. All right. So <laughs> it's if yeah, what's done is done, right? Mm-hmm. Look, I M- okay. Mission I, accomplished. I <laughs> he's getting started on the midterm election ballots. <laughs> Look, I uh, I don't I don't know much about um, uh, a Game of Thrones or whatever, but uh, I did get a kick out of the memes that were people were like, "Tell Donald it was me," and oh, yeah. it was the old lady mm-hmm. from uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah, anyway, but yeah, anyway. So uh, there you go. So I guess we'll say goodnight and uh, we'll do this show again later. Hey, if you're gonna be in um, Disney World, the week of Thanksgiving, uh, let me know, because I've got one day by myself that I'll be in there, and uh, yeah, and Roy, I'll be talk- talking to you later, I may get you to send you some cash to pick me up some um, some tiki mugs, and uh, okay. which is interesting, because like, uh, basically I'm buying you a drink, because you get, you buy it, and then you get, you get a drink in it, and then you get a, get to keep the mug, so, there you go. At, uh, Oga's Cantina? Yeah. Okay. So, anyway. We'll talk. So, I guess we'll say goodnight. Goodnight, everybody. Bye-bye.